February Nick Peed APE Collaborative. Today we are going to talk about program funding, grant writing, particularly the, the OSEP grants in Adapted PE. So welcome all. Thank you so much for joining us. We have two amazing speakers scheduled for this hour. We have Dr. Rebecca Lytle. She's going to spend about 15 minutes and talk about OSEP grant writing. P.S. She has she's she's furping now, and Chico State has a new uh, half APE uh, Pete program that uh, position that's recently been been posted. So check that out, and if you are interested, I know that they could use great professional there at Chico. You'd be working with some really good colleagues, Josie and Marcy Pope, who are amazing. So really good, really good group up there in Chico. Looking to add somebody new. And the second 15 minutes, we will have uh, Danielle Musser, and she is going to be talking about APE program funding. After that, we will open the floor up for about 10 minutes for a Q&A with our speakers. Of course, as always, we are live right now on Facebook at uh, NickPeed, the NickPeed Facebook page. And also this recording will be broadcast in a few weeks on a recent episode of What's New in Adaptive Physical Education podcast. So thanks to Scott McNamara for doing that for us. As always, want to thank our NICPEED membership subcommittee for helping put this collaborative together. We have the amazing Dr. Emmanuel Young, my colleague here at Long Beach State, new dad, Scott McNamara at University of New Hampshire, the amazing APE practitioner, Heidi Ambrosius. Hello all, I'm Melissa Bitter yeah. from Long Beach State and our newest member of the NICPEED uh, membership subcommittee, Lainey Case, who is a postdoc student at University of South Carolina. So thanks all to the membership subcommittee. Our first presenter is Dr. Rebecca Lytle, a professor at CSU Chico. She is an Oregon State University alum. She's a full professor at Chico State and has coordinated their APE program for 30 years. Uh, fantastic program there up in Chico. She's had an OSEP personnel preparation grant for over 15 years and is finishing up her third five-year grant. And she has published and presented nationally and internationally many times. She is now a faculty emeritus partially retired and is working at Chico specifically with OSEP grant writing and consulting for Marin County Schools. So at this time, I'll let Dr. Rebecca Lytle screen share and talk more about OSEP grant writing. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for presenting today. Welcome. Okay, well, thank you all for having me and inviting me to share a little bit about OSEP grants. Um, OSEP is, stands for the Office of Special Education Programs. And I know there's folks out there in the audience who have had either been funded by an OSEP grant as a, a candidate, a scholar like myself. My PhD was from a leadership grant. And I think some of you may have been under grants. And I know there's folks out there who are running grants, um, leadership grants and other types of grants. So let us move forward. So as I said, there are multiple types of grants, both for PhD level and for master's candidates. They also have all kinds of other grants, parent centers, technical assistance centers. But we're gonna talk specifically today about the personnel prep training grants and um, specifically the master's training grants. The applications typically come out in the spring and are due often in the middle of the summer, which is not the greatest timing, but that's just the way it works. The funding used to be set up so that it would start at the beginning of the year, but more recently, the grants now are starting their funding either November or January. This is just from the OSEP page, so you can see examples of different kinds of grants that are funded. There's a whole ton more. These are all funded by IDEA, the law that we all know that manages special education. 
So the this is a photo of some of our very first, our cohort of grants under our current funding. They These grants are intended for institutions of higher education. They fund scholars. So if you are at a university and you are training APE teachers, these should be right up your alley. 60% of the money has to go to the scholars. So most of these grants are about $1.2 million to be spent over a five-year period. So that's $250,000 per year. And again, at least 60% of that has to go directly to scholars. So the whole intent is to get more special education teachers out into the field. And, that's, and these grants fund all kinds of special ed teachers. One of the biggest challenges though with these grants is the indirect. And if you've written grants or done many grants, indirect rates at universities can typically be anywhere from contracted rates between 40 and 60%. And the OSEP education grants only have an 8% indirect. So some questions that you would wanna ask if you're a younger faculty in, in a new PhD position, if you don't already have tenure, I think it's a question to ask whether this is a project you want to tackle before you have tenure, because it takes a lot of time and energy to write a grant. So unless you're partnering with someone, it, it's a lot of effort. And if you don't get funded, then you've spent a lot of time on something with nothing to show in terms of your professional development as a faculty member. So I would be cautious of that. If you already have plenty of publications and you know that you're gonna get tenure, then working on grant might be a, a smart way to go or partnering with somebody who already has tenure, who has some experience with grants. The next question I would ask would be, does your chair, dean, and provost support OSEP grants? I know that some folks have had trouble applying for these because the university does not want grants that only have an 8% indirect. Um, the benefit of these grants, if you are an education that offers credentials and particularly has special education programs, is that these are huge kudos in terms of helping to fund scholars. But in terms of the money that the university gets, not much. So that 8% is really only ends up being about $8,000 a year back to the university. But if you have some buyout for faculty, often the department and or college get some kickback in the difference in salaries between your salary and what it costs to replace you with a part-time person. So there is a little bit more wiggle room in there. And the last question here is, do you have a team of people? So the current grants now are, and this is new, in the last probably five years, somebody might know the exact, I'm not sure, but these uh, master's training grants used to be that you would apply for your specific area. So for us, adapted physical education, but the current grants now are all collaborative grants. So they're combined personnel grants, which means that you, if you're writing a grant, you have to be funding more than one type of scholar. So it could be APE and ours is speech pathology. It could be APE and special ed. It could be PTs and behaviorists, any combination, but you need to have some common field work, common assignments, and common coursework across the disciplines. So whatever two disciplines you're funding, you need to have some shared training. So before you start writing, I would encourage you to get, see if you can get a copy of um, the, the grant, not only the grant application, but perhaps a written grant. You can get copies of as many grants as you want through the Freedom of Information Act if you want to submit. I did this before I wrote our first grant and got samples from a variety of different disciplines within that category so I could see how different people set things up. And then, like I said, collaborating with someone who's already written grants. There's a lot of just sort of weird language that uh, if you didn't work with OSEP grants, you might not know exactly what they're asking for. So that can be helpful. Make sure that your ideas match the grant and make sure that you read the RFP several times. I know that when, when they first changed to the combined personnel grants, a lot of us 
submitted and might have had a collaborative piece, but weren't actually funding two different scholar types. And so our grants were immediately rejected. It might have been written perfectly, but if you weren't actually funding both two different disciplines, didn't matter how much collaboration you were doing across campus or with other people, if you weren't funding both, your project would be denied. Then here are some the examples of what actually goes into the grant. It's going to have an abstract, a budget, budget narrative. So how are you spending your money? And then an explanation of each of those categories. The grant narrative, which is for these grants, typically 50 pages uh, max. Then tables and figures, at least in the previous grants, were in the last grant, were allowed to be outside of the narrative. So those, uh, and then your references, your syllabi, and your vita. And the VITA need to be included for everyone who's working on the grant, and the syllabi should show uh, that you have evidence-based practices, because they're going to look for that specifically in, in the syllabi for the grant. So the grants have two different types of objectives. They have, or measures. So there are government measures, they're called the GEPRA measures, and then the project measure, measures. The project measures are what your actual um, grant is saying that they're going to do. So our project is called the TIER project. It's training and interdisciplinary education research. That's what TIER stands for. So that's our little snappy acronym for this grant. And these are just two examples of our measures. So the GEPRA measures are the government measures, and that's what the government has overarching goals that they're trying to meet. So the government is trying to train scholars. And so one of their measures is that the scholars who exit the program, the percentage of scholars who exit the program prior to completion. So that's data that you need to report on every year. Another one is the percentage of scholars who are employed for two or more years after graduation. That's another one that you need to report on. So when you write your, pro your project objectives, you wanna make sure that they align with the GEPRA measures. They don't have to all align exactly, but you will need to indicate in your grant how which ones of yours will show evidence for the GEPRA measures. And um, there are a couple of sites, so, uh, these ones I have listed on here that actually talk about how to set up your, your measures. So writing the grant, as I said, getting previ the previous year's RFP can be a great way to jumpstart because the RFPs come out and then usually it's not a very long turnaround time, maybe a month or two months at the most. I can't remember. Do you remember, Melissa, uh, Melissa what the turnaround was last year? Uh, yeah, it was pretty Pretty fast. They're usually pretty quick. It can yeah, be a month, month, and, month and, a and a half. So yeah. writing a 50 page, 50 page project, you know, in a month is a pretty uh, daunting challenge. So it's helpful to get a previous grant and then use that as a template and then make changes as needed. It's 60 days. Is it 60? Thanks, Dale. Yeah. Yeah. And they just came out. The new ones? Yep. Oh, I got to look. Yeah. Do, do April 1st. Okay, I saw that the leadership ones came out. Did the master's the level one, ones too? One that's the one I'm talking about. Okay, so the leadership so the grants are out, come so. out soon. Yeah, so if you're looking at a doctoral training grant one, those did come out. I'm not sure that the master's level ones have come no. out yet. No, I don't think so. Yeah, so start your draft, as I said, and then I would review your syllabi for evidence-based practice. Make sure that that's in there specifically review other OSEP funded projects if you can. And then these two links show other OSEP activities. In other words, OSEP funds all kinds of things and many of them are great resources for your grant. And so you want to utilize as much of those things as you can. So this particular, here's, if you go to this, here's a general website. Oh, let's see if it'll pull up here. Uh, these. I have several links throughout the presentation that are helpful, but here's one that has, you know, OSEP ideas that work and it has information about behavioral stuff, social stuff, 
um, resources for grantees, toolkits, centers. So there's all kinds of information there that might be helpful for you within your, within your grant. So things to consider. All right, so here's sort of your at a glance. So um, start, start the planning ahead email or call the person in charge of the grant. So if you have questions, don't hesitate to email whoever the contact person is. The last thing you want to do is write a huge grant and then find out that you did one thing wrong and they, they don't even look at it. So uh, make sure you get your questions answered. And if you have some crazy ideas, call them and say, you know, we're thinking about this. Does it fit with what you're asking for? your headings for your grant. Make sure that the headings in your grant match exactly the headings for the RFP. And Dale's out there in the audience. I know he served as a reviewer probably on many occasions, and there's nothing worse than trying to review anything and having it not align properly or the titles are different so you don't know where to look or what you're looking at. So make it easy for the reviewers by following the exact headings. And also following the exact guidelines. If it says one inch spaces around the edges, you better have one inch spaces or they'll throw your grant out. If it says double space, you better have double space. You can't go one and a half thinking, well, I could fit some more info, info in here. So make sure your, your grant follows all of those particular guidelines exactly. Again, work closely with your budget office to make sure your budget is accurate. So things like if you are doing reassigned time for yourself and a colleague, you want to make sure that you've calculated in the increases in not only your standard raises over time, but also for what's the cost, the insurance stuff. <laughs> can't come up with a word, but all of your insurance and stuff that's covered by the university, that's usually almost 50% of what your salary is or 56. So you want to make sure that you have all that calculated and calculated over the five years with increases. So your first year, you might have squeezed everything in, but as those rates go up, can you still meet your objectives? These are the four sections of the master's training grants. So significant of, of the project, what's your plan, what are your objectives, what outcomes do you expect and what kind of impact and what, why is there a need for it? You need some strong research behind why is this important? The quality of your project services. Um, this includes sort of why is your project good? Is there, have you included equity and diversity? Do you have evidence-based practices? Uh, how are you setting all of that up? What's your content? All of those pieces. And then the logic model, you should look up how to write a logic model if you're not familiar with that so that you set things up in the proper format. What are your evaluation methods and um, how are you going to measure everything? And the last part is the quality of your personnel and your management plan. So once again, if you if this is your first grant and you don't have a history of grants, when they go to review this, they're going to go, well, this, this faculty member has never done any large grants. There's no one on the grant who's done large grants. We're not sure whether they really have the capacity to manage this. So you want to make sure that you have a good team of professionals working together and that your plan is, is doable and that you have the appropriate resources. So if they're asking for matched funds, which apparently they were, they are in the, in the last one, you wanna make sure that you can provide that and how that's gonna happen. So here is an example of some of the supporting documents you might have. This is just the bare minimum. So your course syllabi, the vita of your faculty, any figures that you're including, prerequisite courses that might be required for the program, letters of support. You want to make sure you have letters of support from the agencies and schools around you. An advisory board. You can have an internal advisory that's of faculty within your department and or related departments. You may also have an external advisory board that is connected with school personnel to make sure that your content is aligning with the needs of schools. Service obligation. All of these grants have a service obligation, which if you've 
been a scholar in one or been a part of one, you're fully aware of. But any student who is funded needs to, for basically for each semester that they're funded, they need to provide a year of service. So for a two-year grant, they would owe four years of service. And then, of course, your references. And last but not least, if you submit a grant and you are not funded and you get the sad face <laughs> after all that hard work, do not dismay because they will give you feedback and you can resubmit. And I know that we have had this experience. My very first grant, it wasn't until the third time it was submitted that it was funded. Our second grant, I think, was submitted twice. And our third grant was actually submitted twice. And so you just, you know, you need to take the feedback and be willing to make revisions and don't be discouraged if you don't get funded the first time around. They're highly competitive grants. So with that said, I will wrap it up. Yeah, we'll save questions at the end. Okay. Thank you so much, Rebecca. That was fantastic. You yeah, write down welcome. those questions, save them. And we're going to talk more about program funding. And we will have APE teacher, Danielle Musser. She earned a Bachelor of Science degree in physical education in Berea, Kentucky. In 2013, she earned her master's degree in kinesiology with an emphasis in adapted PE from Texas Women's University and holds a CAPE certification. She is the only CAPE for the Montrose County School District in Montrose, Colorado. She was the SHAPE Colorado APE Teacher of the Year in 2020, and she has raised over $100,000 for, for her APE program in the last eight years. Very impressive. So we're Excited to hear more about how we can do these things for our programs too. Thank you so much, Danielle, for joining us. You can go ahead and share screen. Excellent. Thank you so much for the introduction. Um, I want to apologize everyone for my voice. I am on the tail end of COVID here. So hooray for almost being done. So like Melissa said, I've raised over $130,000 in eight years in financial and in-kind donations. And like many of you in your APE programs, you probably don't have a whole lot of funds for your program. I actually have $350 for my whole school year for 15 school sites. And no, that's not per school. That's for all of my schools. So why fundraising? Obviously the $350 is not going to go far. You're going to get two gold balls for that price. Let's be real. And I feel really strongly that my students should have access to the outdoors, just like their same age peers. And that's where fundraising started for me. The picture that you see on my screen now is of one of my students utilizing Telluride Adaptive Sports Program for skiing. And my first year, they told me that we got to cut skiing. We can't afford to, to bus the students out there anymore and support this program. And I actively sought ways that we could fix that problem. So let's just start with the basics of fundraising. Know your talents. So know what you're good at and know what you could use improvement on. Some people are really good at speaking to people face-to-face, -face, and I will say that's my strong suit. But when it comes to grant writing, you might know that you need a little extra help to get you started. So step out of your comfort zone. I know that you had to anticipate hearing that today. I've always thought of myself as a really poor writer. It turns out that if we practice what we preach, you get better with time and practice. Um, so that $130,000 that I mentioned that wasn't from some huge grant that I got. That was literally the largest grant that I've ever received was the one that I got over the weekend, which was $3,500. That's my largest grant to date. All the rest of it has been me going door to door, business to business, pounding the pavement to always make the ask. So that brings me to my next point. You always have to ask, ask for the discount, ask for the item, ask for feedback on your writing, ask for help because you never know, you might have a parent or a colleague or a friend that wants to donate the item or they want to donate their time and help you write that grant and track your assets. So what that means, everything that comes in the door, be it a discount, transportation cost coverage, donations, financial and in-kind, track all of that because that will help you in future asks and it'll help you with grant follow-up and it'll help advocating for your program. Look what I did for my students. 
won't, won't you help me make the next thing, the next step happen? So we've got all the students covered so they can go snowshoeing, but now we need the equipment. In this photo, this is one of my students that we wanted to take snowshoeing and we just didn't have the right equipment and none of the adaptive sports programs could travel out to Montrose to provide us with what we needed. So we improvised and we emailed a bike company. And by we, I mean me, a department of one. Um, I emailed a fat bike company that makes skis for fat bikes and hit them up and they were able to give us this equipment to hook onto a wheelchair. So the next one, how do I ask for something? Um, building rapport with businesses is a huge first step. So wherever you shop, wherever you eat, conduct business locally, talk to as many people as you can. This is going to help with the name and face recognition as you go for the ask down the road. Take a hard copy of the ask with you. Take a physical copy and use easy to read one page or pamphlet, include your email address, your phone number. And even if you leave your card, be sure that your contact information is included on whatever you leave because inevitably one or the other is going to get lost. And I highly recommend using Canva. Um, it's free for educators and you can make really quality pieces of hand of work to hand out. Wear something official, look PE chic. I know that I don't have to say that to you guys. We always look our best all the time in our sweatpants, but take a look at the vibe of where you're going and try to dress to meet the occasion. Always follow up with thank yous. Um, this is really great to follow up with pictures because it helps invoke positive feelings about the donation that was made, whether that be a grant that was written or um, a physical donation. What do you want? Planning. So start with what you want. You want a pumper car. Talk to schools or talk to, to car companies because that's really good press for them. If you want a new equipment for additional programming, ask companies that supply that in-kind donation or find a company that aligns with your mission. You want to get kids outdoors or maybe it's pediatric PT services that work with your students already. Collaborate. Find those companies that align with your goal. And remember, this is all about advertising for most companies. Um, so how are you going to spend they're $400 on advertising, essentially. They're giving you $400 to get a pumper car. How are you going to then advertise for them in return? And be specific about that and follow up on any promises that you make to the company. Work with your SPED administrative assistant to create an official looking invoice on school letterhead to send to businesses for tax purposes. If you're receiving in-kind donations, be sure to ask for a dollar amount equivalent. So that way you can track that. And then most donations have to get approved by your school board or administration. So be sure to seek out your district protocols in regards to those things. A timeline. This is just a rough layout to give you um, a jumping off point. It does not have to be exact. Um, just be timely and considerate as you're working with different businesses and with grants on those timelines. So talk to the business, ask them what you want, give them the handout. If they committed, great. You're on to day two. But if they didn't commit, follow up either day two, day three, that way you're still fresh on their minds and be sure to like pick up products in person or checks. It just, again, helps with that face name recognition. Um, and then be sure to send thank you notes and follow up with any promises. So words to live by. If you're a good writer, you can convince someone of something, but if you have a good project, you don't have to. This is something my husband actually told me. He writes a lot of grants for his position. and I find that this to be really true and evident when you're writing grants. So we're going to move into that portion now. So grant writing as an APE teacher, I loved the format that the format section that Miss Rebecca shared earlier, that was incredibly helpful and wish I, I had had something like that when I was first learning how to do some grant writing. So when you're working on grant writing, work with your local municipalities. So cities, counties, local government, and nonprofits typically have a grant writer on staff and have access to programs that would let them know what's coming available, but be sure to partner with them on projects that align with their interests. And also ask them to throw opportunities your way that they might have to pass on because it's just not the right fit for them. Ask them to throw that your way if they can. Just a quick email. And then equipment companies Typically, equipment that comes with curriculum tends to have grant opportunities attached. So large equipment companies have running lists of grants that have been used to attain that information or that equipment. So example, um, First Tee as a golf program has a list of grants 
um, that have been used in the past to get first tee equipment and the programming. So they'll even pass along data for grant writing. So impact numbers are huge when you're writing a grant. And then grant matching. Grant funders that require matching funds, which is your funds with their funds, that typically doesn't go a long way. So if you have $350, you already spent that at the beginning of the school year, you're going to have to do something to figure out that grant match. So you could go to your local um, nonprofits or um, some businesses in your town and build up that grant match first and then write the grant to go with that funds. Um, but that being said, you could try to match grant funds against other grant funds that you haven't received yet, but that can be tricky. And if you don't end up with one of the grants, you might've screwed yourself over on that. So be careful. So how do I find my own grants if I can't make that other stuff that I just said work? Okay, well, seek out local organizations like your Altarusa, Elks, um, Rotary, Masons, the Do-Gooders Association, Associations. Also look at different community foundations. Like we have a Montrose Community Foundation here, but also Walmart and Target have their own typical small community grants. They're not like a big, large pool. They're just for that town. You could also use grant finders like Spark, Shape America, your local state PE organization or unions, district and national, state department of education and state health foundations are a great place to start. But keep in mind that the larger pool of money means the larger ability of more people to apply. And so more people are going after those funds. So just keep that in mind. And this is similar to my husband's quote, but with my own spin on it, good ideas win grants when you're passionate about the idea. If you're not passionate about the project, it's going to show in your grant writing. It's very evident. So just keep that in mind. And last but not least, I didn't talk about Every Student Succeeds Act title for Part A. I didn't talk about CARES funds, Medicaid, because number one, I'm in a rural school district. So the numbers of students enrolled within your district play a large part about how much money is allocated to your school district, which in turn means there's more, more people trying to get get a hold of those funds and they hold them really tightly. I have not had success advocating for my program to receive more of those funds to get that for my program to increase my budget. So that being said, I know some of your districts have larger pools of money when it comes to those funds, those categories. And some of you guys even have program models set up in your school district to where you can submit your wish list and then it gets picked. I don't have that in my district, but if you do in yours, that's fantastic. And I, I hope that you submit every single year and advocate for your program. So thanks guys. Appreciate you having me on today. All right. Thank you so much, Danielle. That was great. At this time, we will go ahead and open up the floor for any questions for Rebecca or, or Danielle on grant writing, APE funding for your program. Hey, uh, um, Melissa, this is Garth. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead, Garth. Hey, uh, Danielle and, and Rebecca, a fantastic job. Fantastic. Real quick, Rebecca, in relation to the 325Ks, as, as you mentioned, you need to have two disciplines now. It's very, very important when you're selecting your second discipline, folks, if you're into writing these, to work carefully with them ahead of time when you're planning whether it's physical therapy, speech, school psychology, whatever it might be, you're going to have to have a long and significant relationship with that other discipline at your university. So carefully, carefully plan, take a look at the content and the scope and the sequence of your programs. Are you going to be able to convince the reviewers that you really have shared coursework, shared clinicals, shared assignments, et cetera. Also understand now, don't assume that you're going to have three adapted physical education professionals reviewing your proposals. If you're lucky, you're going to have one adapted PE professional on that panel of three people. Therefore, you need to be sure, and Rebecca mentioned this a little bit, you need to be, assure, to be sure that if you're partnering or collaborating with special education, or if you're collaborating with occupational therapy or speech therapy, 
the reviewers could very well be from that discipline. And if you don't convince the reviewer that your proposal is just as much about special education or occupational therapy or speech therapy, that professional in that discipline is not going to be happy. So you need to really carefully blend in both of the disciplines when you're writing these proposals. And again, don't just write assuming that adapted PE people are reviewing the proposals. Again, thank you. You, you folks did a wonderful job. Wonderful. Thank you, Garth, for uh, sharing that. I know that there are several others of you in the audience here who may have lots of great ideas to share, having served on review panels and also having had multiple grants. So I appreciate your comments, Garth. Thanks, Garth. Uh, Barry? Uh, great, Danielle, Rebecca, great presentation. Really appreciate it. My question's for Danielle, but I just want to reinforce what uh, Garth was saying. The first time I was a reviewer, I for grants, I was really surprised that, you know, your grant many times, like Garth is saying, is, is, is going to be reviewed by people from other disciplines. And you really need to think about that when you're, when you're writing. Danielle, my, my question for you is, you talked a little bit about impact factor. And could you give a couple of examples? Because I think one of the things when you're writing to companies, um, especially because we, we deal with disabilities and we deal with uh, special groups, that sometimes are smaller. These companies sometimes don't understand that as well, and they want this bang for their buck type of thing. Can you can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think some people struggle with how can I make this my impact factor so that the company understands it or or whoever you're writing to the grant. Does that make sense, Danielle? Question. Yeah, absolutely. So you're talking like how are they going to how are you going to reach more people? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So. Um, I take a look at who all is going to be touching the equipment and in a given time before that equipment might break down the line, how many years? So how many students are going to have their hands on that piece of equipment and for how many years potentially? So I, I like to factor that in. So I look at my school numbers and I look at that. And then additionally, what I do is I always highlight everything given to me in my newsletter. And that newsletter doesn't just go out to my students. It doesn't just go out to their families. I am blasting that newsletter all over my entire school district because we're, we have 6,000 kids in our school district. I want to make sure that all 6,000 of those kids and their families and our surrounding community sees that newsletter. I'm sending this out to the school board. I'm sending it out everywhere. And I'm letting the company know that that's that is going to be seen by this many people. So you want to mention exactly how you're going to get that company seen. Are you mentioning it in a newsletter? Do you have a Facebook page? Do you have Instagram? I know that we're all trying to get away from our computers a little bit after this whole pandemic, but <laughs> the more that you can blast that company's name and make sure that they're seeing it, the more likely they are to be a return customer in a way for your advertising. Yeah. Great points. Yeah. Good. Thank you. Yeah, love that idea of putting it in your you know monthly newsletter, sharing it with the whole community, families. Great idea, Dale. Yes, yes. Thank you. Uh, very nice to hear everything that's been said. I'm very glad, Garth, that you were here. Garth and I both serve on the permanent panel review team. We don't always agree to review because it's a heck of a lot of work. We have eight or nine applications that you've got to review in, within the related services panel. And my points that I want to make, just a few, always in each area, whatever the subdiscipline or discipline is, you, you all know that within the general related services and special education area, there's a critical need in all these areas. You've got to set yourself apart. One way of doing that in my mind is always to include a letter of support from your Department of Special Education Director, making sure she or he claims that there is a critical need for more people in APE or faculty, depending on which grant you're going into, the K or the D awards. So include that. Also strongly recommend you can access the panel review form that we use as a, as a reviewer. 
and it will talk about each of the four areas and it gives you ideas of what, as a reviewer, I have to look for these things. Well, guess what? If I'm writing the grant, I want to address each of those things. So get access to that review form that the panelist has to use and then make sure you address all of those issues within your application. I can't, as Garsh said, you're not gonna have more than one APE person out of the three panelists. You need to become a reviewer. There's always a need. Every time we review, generally the two people that are on the panel with us are in other areas and frequently it's the first time they've ever reviewed. So I've gotta be willing as a reviewer to speak up. For example, they don't understand frequently that your grant is worth 100 points. And sometimes there's a minor issue that comes up in one of the areas and they're willing to take 10 points off. You gotta be kidding me. If you get 10 points taken off your grant, you're not gonna get funded. So they've gotta understand that, that for everything, for 10 points, there better be multiple things that are weaknesses. And so you've gotta speak up and they respect that. And that's good. So become a reviewer. Uh, hey, Dale, question. Okay, yeah, perfect. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. Like, how do we become a reviewer? Who would we contact reach out to? the person for each of the grants, the K awards and the D awards, there is a person that's, that is the director. Contact them and just tell them you are willing, depending on the dates of the review, to become a reviewer. They'll keep you on their list. They should because they're always looking. I, I would agree with I would agree with what Dale is saying. They are always looking for qualified reviewers. Mm -hmm. And Melissa, um, Susanna, Dylan, and I are working on something right now where hopefully this is going to be a professional development type thing that's going to be done in the next two to three months with the consortium. Emphasizing what Dale just said, the form is called the technical review form. Right. You need to get that, and that also will be in the RFP, but not in the form that the reviewers see it. However, as Rebecca mentioned, and I'm sure Dale would definitely agree with, that's the Bible for the outline of your proposal. Another quickie, and again, I didn't think Dale was going to get in this deep, so I'll give some other deep things. When you do your need section for the 325K, be sure you have national, state, and local need data that you're presenting to the reviewers. Again, remember, at best, you're going to have one adapted PE reviewer, so you need to convince those other two reviewers that you are talking their language. It might be physical therapy, speech therapy, special ed, behavioral analysis, whatever it might be, counseling. You, you might have a school counselor on that re related services panel with you. Make sure that you explain things. Don't get lost in our jargon in adaptive PE. Great. Thank you. The only other comment I want to make about the funding of APE, one of the things I was successful in learning over my years is approach potential funders or donors as partners. Ask them, I really would love to have you as a partner. Are you willing to help be a partner in achieving whatever the outcomes are in your project that you want to achieve? They like that. Great idea. In the chat, real quick, if you were funded master's or doctoral leadership by one of these OSEP grants, will you go ahead and input um, you know, where you're from, what grant you were funded under? I think that would be fun to see because I, I know as I'm looking around in the audience, I see a lot of people who are funded by one of these um, APE uh, OSEP grants. And also, if you are at a university, and here's an opportunity for like a pitch, if you've got openings for the next year, this would be a great time. Like Chico, I think you all have some openings that you're still looking for some master's students for next year. If you could go ahead and state that. So there might be some people here in the audience who yeah. might want to get their master's or doctorate. I, I've, got, I've got a quick question for Rebecca and anybody can really answer this. And again, before I even ask that question, 
I'm a proud master's and PhD person and went through on these grants with, uh, with Joe Winnick uh, and Claudine Cheryl. Very proud of that. Rebecca, let me ask you a question. And again, others can chime in. Why aren't there at least 10 to 15 universities submitting these 325K grants a year in adapted physical education? What can the consortium do to get those numbers up in our field? Well, that's a good question, Garth. I think the first question is, and I don't know that you might know the answer to this, how many strong, how many APE training programs are there in the country? I'm going to let you folks answer that one. <laughs> I, I don't know the answer to that. A lot of, you know, a lot of universities, they're APE slash something else positions. And the only thing they're offering is an introduction to adaptive PE class. So it's going to target most to places that have endorsements, certifications, something, because so many of our states don't even have any kind of specific licensure, although they could create a CAPE-based master's degree program. So that might be something to consider. And, and that would help maybe push more folks to be interested. But if you don't have, if your university doesn't have the APE curriculum, it's pretty tough to offer an APE master's training grant. That's just my two cents worth. But I think doing a training on this, like you said, through NICPED and then blasting it out and really trying to get it out to universities beyond just the current folks that are involved in NICPED. Other people have ideas. Part of the challenge is there aren't that many of us. And once one of us is funded, there's going to be a five-year period before we resubmit. So I don't, I don't know how many master's funded programs there are right now. NICPED folks should probably have it on your website. Are there like five of them or six of them? Yeah, probably five at the most. So I think over the last 15 to 20 years, many of the faculty that would have been submitting something like this at the master's level, their teaching loads have been scaled up. Yeah, I know in the CSUs, difficult. our teaching loads have scaled up tremendously. And that's yep. why, you know, the, the rub is if you don't have tenure yet, it's pretty hard to try to teach a 12 unit load and also write a grant and write articles for publication. So mm -hmm. I think the more people can collaborate with somebody who has uh, written a grant, at least even in reviewing their stuff, <laughs> getting copies of grants, all those things I think are helpful in the process. Lainey, thanks for your patience. Um, thanks, Rebecca. That was really informative. I was funded by a doctoral training grant from OSEP, and I learned a lot from this that I didn't know before. So I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about what your first experience was like with one of these grants and if the university that you were at then was supportive before and after you secured funding? And maybe if there's like differences in support levels based on different universities. Are you asking me, Lainey? Yeah. Okay, so I've been at Chico forever. So my, the first, ironically, the very first grant I wrote, I connected with a faculty member from speech pathology who had, who had been very successful with these um, OSEP grants. And we wrote a collaborative grant of speech and adaptive PE. And we submitted it to the, the category of com combined personnel. And they turned us down and said to us, why would APE and speech ever train together? Okay, that was probably 25 years ago. And they laughed at us and sent it back. So then the next grants we submitted were purely APE grants. And Chico State has a pretty strong history of grants in special education. We had a faculty member that was sort of the grant writing machine. And so they had all kinds of low incidents, high incidents, behavior grants through special education. And none of those really linked to us in APE. But when I started working on one, I had that as a resource. So they have, you know, 
I could talk to them. And also Steve Hannigan Downs had come to Chico and he had sample grants from Oregon. So between those resources, we were able to put together a grant for APE. Again, our first one wasn't funded. That one was resubmitted and then did get funded. And then the next time around, I think we got funded on our second rotation. And the last one we got, we didn't get funded the first time because it was the first year they did the combined personnel one where you had to have two disciplines, the collaborative grants. And it wasn't clear to us in the initial RFP that we had to be training two disciplines. We thought it was just collaborative, which we had lots of that. So then we had to resubmit showing combining really and really doing a much bigger collaborative piece with speech pathology. So we truly do have our grant is really like this, where we have our unique disciplines and this this woven piece. They train together, they treat kids together, they have some seminars together, and there's a whole lot of overlapping collaboration. And I've just, if those of you out there who are doing collaborative grants, you may share as well, but the students are just really, really valuing the the co-training. They are feeling like as soon as they get out in the field, they're going to reach across to that colleague. Like our APE graduates said, the first thing I'm going to do in my new job is I'm going to contact speech pathologists. And the speech pathologists are saying the same thing. Wow, that's so great. That's, that's been really good. Love it. All right. Probably have time for a final question if we've got anything before we wrap up. Like Rebecca was saying, shout out to those PTs and OTs who are joining us for our collaborative today. Yes, we love collaborating with you guys. So thanks for joining us. Yay, great. Thank you. Yeah. We need one that's a APE, PT, OT speech all together. Yeah, yes. that would be amazing. Amanda's put in the chat, if you've got any ideas, recommendations for upcoming NICPEED APE collaboratives, please feel free to fill out that short Google form and let us know your ideas. Our next collaborative, oh, I should state our, our previous collaborative in December, we had... 470 people watched or listen to the podcast and 136 thus far who have joined or who, who viewed the Facebook live feed, who viewed it. So we're very excited. And again, that December was Dale Ulrich and we had Tanya Moore who both spoke about assessment. Our March collaborative will be Tuesday, March 22nd at 9 a.m. Pacific, 11 Central or noon Eastern Standard Time. And we're going to be doing a panel. Nick P. President Michelle Grenier is going to lead a panel uh, and it's going to have professionals, international professionals. We're going to have University of Alberta. We will have the president of UFAPA and IFAPA join us. So it's going to be a, a nice panel presentation moderated by the NICPE president, Michelle Grenier. So that is what is in store coming up in March. So thank you all so much for joining us today. Much, much appreciated. Until next time, hope to see everyone again in